Okay, uh, domain query, the Russian bear. Uh, very warm welcome to everyone listening in and uh, to my readers and my SoundCloud subscribers. Uh, just FYI, with SoundCloud going full SJW and uh, taking part in this whole Blackout Tuesday nonsense, um, I will be joining my friend and uh, brother in Christ and uh, colleague Adam Piggott, the gentleman adventurer, in looking for alternative podcasting platforms. Uh, we'll probably end up on Podbean, or actually Podbean kicked off the Big Bear, didn't they? Um, yeah, I'll be looking for an alternative podcasting platform. Uh, there's no rush to do it, but it is very obvious that SoundCloud will never get a renewed subscription from me. Uh, I signed up for like a two-year subscription, but that will um, never, ever be renewed. There is, uh, there is no question that uh, these people are profoundly evil, and I will have no truck with them. Uh, it will eventually come down to finding someplace else to host everything, and once, um, once I'm done migrating uh, or setting up a new service and migrating my, my, my setup, I hope you will all join me there, and uh, we will try to make this, uh, this, this podcast continue for as long as is feasible. Uh, but that's besides the point. Uh, it's just a, something that's been on my mind for well, since this morning. Uh, I wanted to address a question, a long question actually, by a long-time reader and friend of the blog, Kapios, and he asked a question uh, related to the Neo-Tsar section of my uh, great Monday DACT browser buster from this Monday. The question is as follows, and I quote, Do you think the Neo-Tsar has obtained the Daddy Putin status to the Eastern European countries, or is this just a front? Uh, sure, the countries around Russia are in NATO, and they are littered with American military bases, UN, and so on, but Putin seems to have won the culture and religious war. The former communist countries are strengthening their economies because most of them don't follow the Keynesian economics as closely as the U.S., and the Christian Orthodox Church seems to be going strong as well. They have their problems, too, with high-ranking religious figures being corrupt, but they are not the spotlight of the world, and they don't seem too eager to play politics like the Vatican. Maybe these countries are giving Putin a submissive nod, given how Western countries corrupt everything they touch. And he goes on to say, The West is a sinking ship, so I don't see a reason why they shouldn't side willfully and maybe happily with the Russians. End of quote. Okay, uh, there's a lot to unpack here, and uh, it's an interesting question, a very interesting question. The... It, it, okay, it would certainly seem as though uh, Putin's willingness to play power politics has made Russia kind of the dominant power in the East. Now, there is a multifaceted approach to this issue, because, you see, if you talk to certain intelligence agencies in the West, they would argue that Russia is a power in decline. I mean, if, if you listen to Western media, of course, Russia, 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 uh, the Russians are behind every single thing that's gone wrong in Western society in the last four years. It's absolute nonsense. They, the, the Russians uh, do not have the kind of power and scale 
to inflict that kind of damage. All of the damage that the West has inflicted upon itself is precisely that, self-inflicted. Uh, the Russians did not contribute anything particular to any of it. Now, with respect to Russia's growing power and influence, here's the thing. The Russian influence is nowhere near as terrifying as it used to be. The Russian military has actually been declining in size since 1990. Uh, Today, the Russian military has about less than a million men-at-arms uh, available. And if you look at its, um, its aircraft fleet in particular, it, has, uh, it doesn't have a particularly big air wing. It doesn't have a particularly large air arm. If you look at uh, the total uh, Russian air forces, I'm looking it up right now, if you look at the total uh, Russian, you know, available uh, air forces, it's, it's really not that large. Um, you know, if you look at air power, they have 4,163 odd aircraft, 873 fighters, of which 742 are dedicated attack aircraft, 424 transports, 497 trainers, uh, 1,522 helicopters, and 1,000, uh, sorry, 531 attack helicopters. They have 127 special mission helicopters. I'll give you the. I'll, I'll send you the. Um, I'll, uh, you know, um, put the uh, the link to all of this. If it's from globalfirepower.com, uh, I'll, I'll put this in the uh, description box of this video, so you can see the results for yourself. They have 603 total assets uh, at sea, one aircraft carrier. But that aircraft carrier, by the way, is not particularly effective. Um, I think it's called the Gorshkov. Uh, no, no, I'm wrong about that. It's it's um, it's it's not called that. Uh, but anyway, the 16 destroyers, 10 frigates, 79 corvettes, 62 submarines, 41 patrol aircraft, and 48 mine warfare craft. If you look at their land forces, they have 13,000 almost tanks, uh, 27,000 armored vehicles, uh, 6,000 uh, self-propelled artillery, 4,465 towed artillery, 3,860 rocket projectors. And um, they have under, they have uh, currently about a million active personnel and uh, two million reserve personnel. Now, that's pretty damned impressive. Uh, but if you look at, let's say, the USA, I mean, the US blows it out of the water in every single aspect. And if you look at the fact that they have um, a million active personnel and two million reserve personnel, well, okay, let's take a look at uh, the nearest competitor, which is Poland, all right? Uh, if you look at the Poles, they have 118,000 people under arms right now, active military personnel, and they have 75,000 reserves. If you look at Ukraine, if you look at Ukraine's total manpower, they have 255,000 available and a million reserve. And here's the problem. The Russian military is battle-hardened, technologically advanced, highly skilled, highly competent, 
doesn't go for the usual social justice bullshit that has dominated Western military planning in terms of women in combat, you know, God help us, uh, gays in the service, um, and all the other stupid nonsense that has crippled the ability of Western militaries to kill people and break things, including, to a very great extent, the U.S. military, which is, in very large measure right now, absolutely a paper tiger. And uh, I realize that's going to be mortally offensive to a lot of people uh, in the military, at least those who uh, kind of swallow the, the <clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, the active line, but it's the truth. Um, I, I really can't change the fact that it's the truth. Um, now, when you consider the fact that the Russian military is quite small, actually, relative to the size of the population it protects, and you compare it with what's available in Ukraine and Poland, which are two of the, the, the major enemies uh, on, I mean, not enemies, but antagonists on the Russian, on or near the Russian border, then you realize that uh, Russia doesn't really pose a big military threat. Uh, when Russia supposedly invaded Crimea, they didn't invade Crimea, that's a complete Western myth. Uh, when Russia supposedly invaded Crimea in 2014, there was a lot of talk about how the Russians were gearing up for uh, a new Warsaw Pact and would storm Western Europe and uh, occupy everything. That's absolute nonsense. Uh, if you look at Ukraine, okay, Ukraine has a population of, oh, let's see, Ukraine has a total population of 44 million, almost. Russia has a total population of 142 million, okay? Somebody please explain to me how a country with a population of 140 million spread out over a vast geographical landmass, the biggest country in the world, can possibly conquer and occupy a country with 40 million people. Never mind uh, all of Western Europe, where if you look at the total population of Western Europe, all told, it's close to a billion people. You know, uh, everything added up. It's an enormous number of people. It's just not going to happen, guys. So, anyone who says such things is talking out of his ass. It's not going to happen. The Russians have bigger problems. And the Russians have been reducing their total number of men-at-arms for a very, very long time. They've been doing this to create a more lean, stripped-down, and professional military force, and they've succeeded. Um, that being said, has... do... Uh, do Eastern European countries look to Russia as a uh, a strong man, you know, a, a, as the strong horse? As far as I can tell, increasingly yes, but they're still not at the point where Eastern Europe looks naturally to Russia as its protector and savior. The thing is that most of the Eastern European countries are caught between two very strongly conflicting desires. On the one hand, 
they recognize that antagonizing Russia is a really stupid thing to do because the Russian, the, the specter of Russian occupation has never faded from the minds of the people who endured it. Even 30 years later, I mean, a full generation has now grown up uh, without having to deal with communism from, from Moscow uh, and communist occupiers. But the specter of what happened still haunts them. And they don't want to endure that again. They don't want to be under the occupation of a foreign power. Um, they look to the West with envy and hope because they see that West has, the West has really developed and holds a promise of uh, economic liberal uh, liberation. Uh, but they also have deep um, cultural roots, which they don't want to see destroyed by Western decadence. So if you look at Eastern Europe, they're playing a very... The, 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 it's not even bouncing on a knife edge. It's actually like bouncing on the head of a pin right now. Because no matter which way they go, there's, they're, they're going to make a big mistake. If they embrace American hegemony, they're going to be um, under a system where the Americans are no longer capable of providing a protective imperial umbrella. Um, the American system is failing, and the American empire is failing, and the Eastern European countries can see this just fine. That's obvious to them. That's obvious to everybody right now. If they look at the European Union, well, the European Union offers massive benefits in terms of uh, travel and um, economic contributions to their economies. But there's also no question that uh, the price of entry into the EU is the loss of national sovereignty. And that's a price that a lot of Eastern European countries are, at least the Eastern European governments are willing to pay, but the Eastern European peoples are not. So there is a real balancing act that they have to commit to. And a lot of that balancing act is driven by fear. Um, Kapios makes the assertion that Putin seems to have won the cultural and religious war. Uh, I would agree with that, as, as a general rule. Yes, I would agree with that. The Russian culture is much stronger and more resilient than Western culture. Uh, even if you look just at Moscow and St. Petersburg, uh, which are considered the two most decadent cities in Russia by the rest of Russians. I mean, if you Russians outside of Moscow say that Muscovites are soft and weak. They disparage Muscovites as, as being just... They have life too good. It's too easy for them uh, there. Uh, I have been to the Russian city of Ivanova, which is a small city uh, about uh, what, 200 kilometers or so east of Moscow. And that's a nice place. It's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice, quiet, quieter, um, smaller city... And the people there are much tougher and more resilient. You can see it in the way they, they approach life. But that being said, uh, the Russians in the West are no pushover either. They are much tougher than Westerners. Even this relatively soft and decadent Muscovites and uh, uh, Peterburgians. I, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how the Russians refer to them. Uh, if you go out into the smaller cities, you'll see the Russian culture is extremely strong, extremely entrenched. 
if you go to Nizhny Novgorod or uh, Novgorod or um, Kaliningrad or Volgograd or you know Chelyabinsk uh, or Omsk or any of the other smaller cities uh, particularly in the Russian East where Siberian winters are incredibly harsh and there's literally nothing to do during the winter months but to stay indoors and you know try not to freeze your balls off um, that's where you find really tough strong sturdy people who understand what it means to deal with the elements and they they don't take their culture for granted russian culture has a lot of problems make no mistake there are a lot of issues with russians especially russian women i know from long and painful personal experience uh, I'm telling you now you know if you get involved with a Russian girl uh, it's great a lot of the time but it's also pure hell a lot of the time I'm just telling you you know don't don't think that it's a dream because it's not um, <clears throat> but I think uh, I have to I have to offer some corrections here because um, if like Kapios basically says that uh, the Orthodox Christian Church seems to be doing well. They have their problems too with high-ranking religious figures being corrupt. Uh, and they don't seem too eager to play politics. Um, depends on what you mean by playing politics. See, the thing is, the, the Russian Orthodox Church is very heavily tied into the Kremlin and has been, you know, since since Putin took over 20 years ago. Uh, the, there are pictures of um, Orthodox priests going up to um, Russian soldiers as they were being deployed into the Donbass region in 2014 and in, in um, of Crimea and uh, like literally sprinkling holy water on their weapons <laughs> there are pictures of of, <laughs> of orthodox priests putting holy water on freaking bazookas and rocket launchers I mean and sniper rifles I mean it's hysterical to me because on the one hand, it's absolutely badass. Like I think that's great. I think that's um, you know, the the idea of uh, of 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 saying a benediction over a freaking rocket launcher is is awesome. And I wish that um, there were priests of righteousness and and decency in the West who would do kind of the same thing. But it doesn't exist uh, out there. Uh, on the other hand, the the Russian Orthodox Church is deeply tied into uh, the Kremlin and will always be. So the idea that they don't really play politics is not true. They, I would say that the good thing about the Russian Orthodox Church is that they aren't corrupt uh, in the spiritual sense quite as badly as the Vatican. That's not a recommendation for the Russian Orthodox Church. I have great respect for the Orthodox Church, but I would not want to be part of it. Um, I, I keep them at sort of arm's length. The, the Orthodox Church is not corrupt spiritually or diseased spiritually the way the Vatican is. If you look at the Vatican, the Vatican has been clearly taken over by the gay mafia at this point. Uh, it, is, it is rife with homosexuals who, um, and, and pedophiles who have corrupted the church from within, and it's horrifying to see. The Orthodox Church is corrupt in its own way, spiritually and 
um, financially, but it's corrupt in a different regard. Like, I think the best way to put it is, if you're if you are poor in Russia and you go to the Orthodox Church for help, you're just as likely to be chased away and told to get lost um, because you're a bum than as you are to get any kind of help. Uh, that's that's anathema to uh, to people who were raised in Christian tradition in the West, where I mean, for all of its faults, for all of its problems, the Catholic Church. Uh, at the diocese level and at the actual church level does a great deal to help congregants and does really does a lot to pass out food and uh, give shelter to those people who need it. So that is a, a major difference between the two. Uh, are the countries of Eastern Europe giving Putin a submissive nod? Uh, not really. Uh, Poland has made it very clear that it will stand with the USA. The Poles have an extremely deep hatred of uh, Russians after what Russia did to their country during the Cold War, uh, after the occupation of Poland. Ukraine is a mixed bag. If you look at Ukraine, about 17% of the country is ethnically Russian, and that's about roughly the west, uh, excuse me, the eastern third of the country. So, if you look at uh, Kiev and uh, Kharkov um, to the to the east, uh, Kiev, Kiev, uh, Kiev, and the major sort of urban centers to the east of the country would probably quite happily join Russia. I I think they would be very happy to just go over there and be part of Russia rather than being part of Ukraine because that those areas are ethnically Russian. Um, if you look at the other Slavic countries, however, there's an interesting article um, <clears throat> which was posted up on uh, the Moscow Times, and I'll link to it in the description box, by Ilya Kilishin, uh, and he wrote a, a response. Now, the Moscow Times is an anti-Putin newspaper. It's an independent newspaper operating in Russia and the West. And he basically said this idea that Russia is a unique culture and civilization uh, is something that Russians themselves have invented to make themselves feel better about their place in the world. And if you look at the actual history of Russia, in fact, Russia has picked a fight with just about every Slavic group of people out there. It's Russia likes to play itself up as the the third Rome, the uh, the only Russian Orthodox kingdom, um, a special, unique place. It is all of those things. Russia is special and it is unique. Make no mistake about that. I've spent a long time, a lot of time in Russia. I love this country. I think it's an amazing place. I think every Westerner, with the means and the motive and the opportunity to do so, should do so, should, should, should travel to Russia and experience it and understand just how good and decent the Russian people really are. Uh, I'm a big fan of them. Uh, I think they're an amazing people. But um, is it... This idea that Russia is a special place is, is kind of a veneer that Russians put over themselves to hide some deep insecurities. 
and uh, to and the fact is that they have picked a fight with pretty much every Slavic people out there. Um, the Czechs, for instance, uh, are the most recent example. You know, there's uh, the the Czechs, the Slovaks, the uh, the Slovenians, the Croatians, um, any kind of uh, Christian group that was out there, which wanted to be part of, wanted to be under the Russian umbrella, has been uh, an antagonist of Russia's at some point or another, Georgia and Ukraine being the most recent. Uh, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church has, has split away from the Russian Church. Uh, which was a major schism. I mean, it wasn't as bad as the bans and anathemas of 1054, but uh, it was pretty bad, and it really shook up the power structure of, of the Russian Orthodox Church because they they lost a significant amount of influence in Western Europe as a result. So, um, you know, the, the idea that Russia is a center of power and gravity is true, but there is a real sense among both Russians and Westerners and Eastern Europeans that Russia is a declining power. I don't fully share that opinion. Uh, I do believe that under Vladimir Putin, the Russian economy has diversified significantly. It's nowhere near where it needs to be, but it's doing a lot better than it was. Uh, the Russian military has grown much stronger, and most importantly, the Russian people remain strong and united. Um, the measures that are being introduced under the constitutional referendums are designed specifically to make sure that the leadership of Russia remains Russian, that particularly Jewish influence within Russia remains limited. Um, people need to understand, especially Jews need to understand, Russian anti-Semitism runs very deep. And for all that Jews hate Putin, he is actually one of their best friends in Russia. Uh, Jews hate Putin because he chased out the Jewish oligarchs who raped his country. Uh, he has Jewish oligarchs around him now, but they understand that they need to keep their mouths shut and toe the party line. But if it were not for Putin... Jews in Russia would be severely persecuted. There's a very good reason for this. Most people don't know this fact, but Putin's nanny, when he was growing up in what was then Leningrad, was Jewish. So, as a result, he has a much more sympathetic view towards Jews and towards Israel than most Russians do. And it is for that reason that Jews should be a lot more grateful to him than they really are, and they should be a lot less afraid of him than they really are. As for would the countries of Eastern Europe willingly partner with Russia? No, not really. Uh, Estonia, Lithuania, uh, Finland, certainly. I mean, the Finns aren't Slavs. They're not the Slavic people. They can't stand Russians because of the, the Finnish Winter War and the, uh, the occupation of parts of Finland during the Cold War. Uh, Poles, no way. Croats, nope. Uh, Serbs, maybe. I mean, Serbs have a very strong affinity to Russia. Um, 
because their language is very, very similar. If you speak good Russian, you can get by in Serbia quite easily. Uh, in fact, the Russians, the, the, the republics that are closest to Russia are not to the west, they're to the south. The, the peoples, the, the countries that are most closely tied into Putin are the so-called Ukstan countries, you know, Azerbaijan, Turkmenistan, uh, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Dagestan. Um, these are, weirdly enough, Islamic republics dealing with a Christian Orthodox country. But they get along with Putin pretty well. Uh, they are the source of most of the migrant labor in Russia. The Eastern European countries, by contrast, look at Russia as a serious potential threat. Ukraine looks at Russia with absolute horror because of the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, which the Russians are looking to construct between their country and Germany. This is a strategically very important pipeline for Russia because if Nord Stream 2 is completed, it allows Russia to completely bypass Ukraine in delivering its gas, one of its most precious natural resources, to Western markets. That cuts off Ukraine totally from any leverage that it has over Russia right now, because right now the Russian gas pipelines run through Ukraine as a consequence of uh, Cold War politics and occupation at the time. If that is bypassed, Ukraine loses all ability to hold the Russians back economically speaking. It loses all leverage. The Ukrainians are absolutely shitting their pants about this. Uh, and that means that they're probably facing the breakup of their country as well, because of course the Eastern Third wants to leave and wants to join Russia. And uh, let's, let's not forget the fact that uh, Ukraine economically is a basket case. It's, it's a crap hole. Um, people talk and complain about how bad Russia is in terms of corruption and lousy economic opportunities, Ukraine's about a hundred times worse. Uh, if you look at Bulgaria and Romania, on the other hand, I mean, these are two countries that are desperate to join the EU and are going, you know, balls out to do it. Um, if you look at all the countries along Russia's border with the West, most of these countries are largely hostile to Russia as, um, a, as, a, as a power and really don't want to be involved uh, with the power politics. But as long as, um, as long as the sort of Western power remains in place, and as long as Western economies remain viable, they will generally tend to align themselves more with the West than they will with Russia. That being said, the Russians are making some very interesting uh, steps to undercut Western European influence. If you look at the countries along Russia's western border, okay, Finland, yeah, Finland is wholeheartedly a part of the EU, but its, its government is made up entirely of women. The idea that they can stand up to Putin is an absolute joke. Estonia. Estonia is a very dynamic place right now. I mean, they've really liberalized their economy and they're doing very, very well for themselves. Uh, but they don't pose any threat to Russia. 
they don't uh, they, there is no way really to invade Russia overland through Estonia. So the Estonians are generally left pretty much alone. Latvia, on the other hand, well, the Latvians are a minor power. The, the Russians don't particularly care about them. But Lithuania is a major hostile uh, territory. Lithuanians do not like Russians and do not trust them and want nothing to do with them. Uh, if you look at Belarus, uh, White Russia, um, now, Belarus is an interesting case. Belarus has been tied into Russia since the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. The dictator of Belarus uh, is pretty much one of the last like three communist, officially communist dictators in the world. Belarus is still officially a communist country. Um, Belarus and Russia have very close ties, but they are not fully simpatico with one another. There is a, a series of long-standing disagreements about uh, power sharing, the economy, and, and, and so on. Um, but Russian currency is fully accepted in Belarus. In fact, if you want to fly from Russia to Kiev, if you want to fly from Moscow to Kiev, you have to go through Minsk these days because of the whole you know, Russian-Ukrainian relations problem. Uh, coming to Ukraine, of course, uh, Ukraine is definitely hostile to Russia, but that has only been the case for the last six years or so. Prior to that, there was a pro-Russian government in place, which was overthrown uh, by an Obama-instigated CIA-backed coup, which was about the dumbest thing, well, I mean, you know, the list of all the dumb things that Obama did with regards to Russia is longer than my arm, in all honesty. Um, I'm going further south, you know, Moldova doesn't border Russia, but Moldova actually, uh, <clears throat> Moldova has an interesting situation where they are very pro-Russian, and people who want to go from Moldova and become Russian citizens will now have an expedited path to citizenship, which is great for them. Uh, who else? If you look at, um, if you look at, who else are we looking at? Um, Romania. Uh, Romania is its own country. Bulgaria is, um, Bulgaria has, has, is very much thrown in its lot with the West and has no interest in being part of Russia. Um, if you look south of Russia a bit at Georgia and Azerbaijan and Armenia, these countries are, Georgia in particular has moved much more into the Russian orbit since, uh, the since, uh, what's his name, was deposed, Saakashvili. Uh, since Saakashvili was deposed, you know, Georgia has definitely become much more Russian-friendly. Uh, as for the Slavic republics of Yugoslavia, that's, by the way, Yugoslavia, the, the literal meaning of that word, Yugoslav, Yugoslavia, southern Slavs, that's what it means. Uh, those countries are, I mean, they look to Russia as a protector and a friend, and Russia has friendly relations particularly with Serbia. But the rest of those countries in, in that region are anywhere from indifferent to hostile. So, um, I hope that uh, sheds some light. I, I hope that uh, is somewhat useful to people who are trying to understand this, uh, this rather thorny and complex 
um, you know, country that is Russia. And I hope that that sheds some illumination upon the way that countries either align or do not align themselves with the Russian bear. So um, that is pretty much everything. I have run on for quite a bit, uh, and I hope that uh, that answers Kapios' questions and gives him some more material to think about. Uh, this has been, di uh, not didactic mind, this has been Domain Query, the Russian bear, and I am the didact, and I will get back to you uh, probably this Sunday for the next Didactic Mind podcast. <laughs>